Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Have you ever thought about the cards that you've been dealt? Have you ever taken the time to examine your life as if it were a hand of cards? For many of you, you would look at the hand that you've been dealt and go, I've been given a great hand. I don't want to change a thing. And still there are others. You would look at a few of your cards and you would go, these are the hard and bitter cards. It's as if we would say, if I could just trade in these cards, my life would be so much better. But that's just it. You can't trade in the cards that you've been dealt. These are your cards, whether you like the way they feel or not. It's interesting. The people that we want validation from, people we want to like us, the people we want to impress, we hide these uglier cards behind the more noble, significant, prettier cards. These are the cards that we want people to see. These are the cards that we've based so much our identity on. It's human nature, I guess. But deep down, we know the cards that we've been dealt. There's no escape in it. It's who we are. We can't reshuffle the deck. We can't trade any of them in. It's in our DNA. It's in our makeup. The truth is, you are all in. But what if we stopped? What if we stopped and just took some time to look at the hands that we've been dealt? Is it coincidence or is it just life? Or is it God? The argument would be, why would an all-knowing, all-loving God give me this deck of cards? If he really loved me, why these cards? And these are the cards of pain, of chaos, of guilt, of hurts, of hang-ups, of habits. And amongst this deck, for some of you, there are some really cruel cards. Cards of rejection, depression, addiction, abuse, and the card that none of us can escape from. But if we were to stop and think back, oh, there are some great cards in this deck, like when you were a little kid and the first time that you made your dad laugh and he laughed so wholeheartedly, that was a great card. That was a great day. The first time you tied your shoes, your first kiss, when you graduated college and nobody said that you could do it, the first time that you used your gifts and talents and someone looked at you and you knew they meant it and said, you are good at this. And the first time you stood up for yourself, these are the pretty cards. These are the ones that we move to the front of the deck. It's a sad truth, but we really care what other people think of us. And these are the cards that we reuse. We relive. We reshuffle because we care for validation from other people. But what does God think? What if God were to take a look at all our cards? Which ones would he choose? More than likely, they would not be the prettier, significant cards, but they would be an array of both good and bad cards. 
So you see, he wants to use the most heart-wrenching cards as much as he wants to use the cards that have brought you peace and joy. Don't discount the fact that God wants to use the most difficult cards because these cards have brought blessings and they have given us the greatest learning lessons of life. To God, these aren't a bunch of good and bad cards. To God, they're just cards. And if we surrender, we can see the hand that we've been dealt. It can give God glory. It can remind us that it's not our story, but his story. And if we're really still, we can even catch a glimpse of heaven. So the question is, aren't you tired of pretending to deal with your deck of cards? Aren't you wore out trying to hide behind some of the more glamorous cards? Doesn't it shortchange God with the story of our life? To him, you have been given the greatest hand that you could ever imagine. And for me, I'm all in. I'll play the hand that I've been dealt. Good morning, brethren. If we are Christians, that means that the Lord has called us to accomplish great tasks for Him. But how often do we think that what we have, meaning what the Lord has given us or provided for us, is just not enough to face the task at hand? I think all too often we tend to think that way. But does that mean that the Lord has made a mistake or that the task at hand is actually impossible to accomplish? One way to ask that question is, do we have what it takes? Listen on, because the answer may actually surprise you. We're going to read from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus feeds a very large crowd that had gone to listen to him. In the Gospel of John, this passage has strategic importance uh, because he presents <clears throat> Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. It shows Jesus as God the Son in his creative power more than any other miracles that Jesus performed. But it also introduced Jesus' discourse about the bread of life. And so it has importance in the Gospel of John. But the passage also presents several lessons as well. And it is on these lessons that we will concentrate our attention today. Now, if you are a Christian, you have been called to be part of the body of Christ, of the church, and not by accident, but for a reason. And the Lord Jesus Christ has told us what the overall overarching reason for us to be part of the body of Christ is, that we make disciples of all the nations. Think about it for a moment, making disciples of all the nations. And yet, we look at ourselves, 
We really don't see that happening, do we? Oftentimes, we don't think that we have what it takes. And I know the feeling very well. I'll be very honest with you. The Lord, through so many different events, has called me to ministry here in the U.S. instead of in my native land. As you can tell, English is not my first language. And on top of that, on top of the difficulty that that in itself presents, I never really liked my voice. And I'll be very honest with you, I absolutely still do not like my voice. I wished, and I have wished for many years, that I could have a polished kind of radio type announcer voice. At one point I even tried speech therapy, but I immediately found out it was way too expensive for me and I could absolutely no way I could afford that. But still, the Lord called me to use my voice, which I don't like, and the English language, which is not my first language, to serve Him and you. Sure, He could have chosen someone else. Someone with much greater skill, better voice, and better command of the English language. But instead, for some reason, known to him, he chose one of the little ones. One that does not live up to the standards I wish I had. But what about you? What is holding you back from serving the Lord in the way that he has called you to do? If you're having some problems like I have, or I have had, well, let's remember that we are in good company. Remember Joseph? He was only a slave in Egypt and hardly anyone that had a voice in the way that things should go. And yet, that was only until God made him second only to Pharaoh. Moses. Moses complained because his speech was inadequate. Some scholars have said that he might have been stuttering. We don't know what the problem was, but we do know that he complained about his speech. And so God gave him Aaron to help him. Isaiah, when he was called the prophet Isaiah, declared and confessed that he was a man of unclean lips, unworthy to carry the word of God. What about the prophet Jeremiah? He complained of being too young for that task. He was very young, and he said that he did not know how to speak. And the disciples of Jesus, fishermen, some of them very impulsive, uneducated, including even a tax collector and a hot-headed zealot. And yet, despite all those things and more, the Lord still used all of these people and in very powerful way. So let's look at what happened, that is as recorded in John 6, what happened on the mountain just before the Passover and what the Lord taught his disciples through a unique experience. Let's begin with verses 1 to 3. After these things, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now we know from, we, we, we mentioned before that when a, a, a teacher, a rabbi sits down, that means he's getting ready to teach, getting ready to talk to the people. 
Now also, several months have gone by since the events of chapter 5. And in those months, Jesus performed many, many healings, and people heard about them. So they were curious. And many of them, in fact, a large crowd, as it's written, followed him. But they did not follow him out of belief, mostly out of curiosity. Many hoped to be healed, perhaps. Others expected something else. But just about all of them, most of them, I should say, wanted something from him and wanted something for themselves. And in fact, later on, we find out in the Gospel of John that a number of these people stopped following Jesus. They abandoned, they left him. Verses 46. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now the crowd was particularly large, probably because of the Passover feast coming up. And as we said, not all of them were believers. In fact, as we mentioned before, many of them later left him. But even so, Jesus still had compassion for them. And he asked Philip where enough bread could be purchased to feed them. Now this is a very large crowd and, and Jesus asked Philip, okay, okay where, can we, where can we buy enough bread for all these people? But John wrote that Jesus said this to test Philip because he knew what he was about to do. And that was not unusual. It was fairly common for a rabbi, for a teacher, to test his disciples by asking them questions or giving them a, a particular challenge to resolve to see if they learned what they needed to have learned. But notice in verses 7 to 9, the response. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread it's not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little, even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? So notice now Philip responds. Philip said that 200 denarii, which is the equivalent of 200 days of work, for an, a normal common laborer. So that's a roughly seven and a half months of labor. Even seven and a half months of labor would not be enough to buy enough bread to feed all these people. It was a very large crowd. And the task at hand, the task that Jesus proposed was monumental. And so, <laughs> so Philip responded the way that we would. Lord, it's impossible. We don't have what it takes to do that. Does that sound familiar? Lord, I stutter. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm too young or too old for the task. English is not my first language. How could I possibly do that? My voice is not professional. People won't listen. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough resources. And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Now, 
Look, however, how Andrew responded. He went around the crowd to see what was available. And it seems like he must have asked the people if they had food. Because a child responded to that and offered his food. Five barley loaves and two fish. That was it. Five barley loaves and two fish. So Andrew reported that to Jesus. And of course, he added that five barley loaves and two fish would definitely not be enough, definitely inadequate to meet the need of so many people. But think about it. A child responded to the call with minimal resources. Did the boy have what it takes? At first look, it would seem not. But then, think it through. He gave all he had to serve the Lord and to share it with others. But what would that do? What difference would be would that little bit of food make in such a very large crowd? So we have here three responses. Philip, first of all, pointing out that even seven and a half months of labor would not be enough to feed everyone. Andrew pointing out that this boy had offered his food, but was nothing compared to the need at hand. The boy, the third response. I don't have much at all, but what I have, I gladly offer it to the Lord's service. And so the boy modeled the love of God. Think about that. Verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, all, at this point, all was staged and ready for the lesson. And Jesus asked for the people to sit down. Now John here gives us an approximate number of the crowd. He said it was around 5,000 men. And I've read some commentaries that said it would be 5,000 people. But most would seem to agree that only the men being counted there would be as many as 15,000 or even more, perhaps, people present there. There was a very large crowd. That's the main point. And so he took five barley loaves and two fish and distributed bread and fish to the crowd. And not just stingily, not just a little bit, but as much as they wanted, plentifully. The little that the Lord had he made available to them and it was offered in love by that little boy that little was used by the Lord to feed a very large crowd and in abundance as much as they possibly would want you know it's the same for us today the Lord may have given us what seems to us as being very very little but what that little What the little does when it's offered in his service and as an expression of God's love is amazing because the Lord works with it and multiplies it many, many, many times over. A similar concept is present throughout the Bible in, in, in different terms, but similar 
similar in meaning. Think about the oil and the flower of a widow that never runs out in a time of famine. A mustard seed that grows into a very large plant. Or two coins of a poor widow that will always be remembered wherever the gospel is going to be preached. And the list could go on. But let's go now to verses 12 and 13. Wherein, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Now this is what Jesus stated here. They had to gather up all the leftovers so that nothing would be lost. You see, nothing of what the Lord gives us is to be lost. That in itself, I think, would be a great lesson. Not just in, in the food that we might be throwing away, which, which I think it is very, very strange. If you were to ask me that at the beginning of a meal, we see a family thanking God for the food and then throwing most of it in the trash. But not just about things like that. I think this is much more deep in meaning because nothing of what the Lord has given us to work with is to be lost. That means that whatever the Lord has provided for us to do, whatever gifts that God has given us, whatever things God has called us for, they are not to be wasted. They are not to be lost. And the other part of the meaning is that no act of love is ever insignificant. You may reach out to someone and give them a glass of water. Actually, I remember, I remember in, the, in the movie Ben-Hur, that was probably one of the most powerful scenes in the whole movie. A very simple act, and yet the meaning that he had was deep and profound. Even if we look at what we have to offer as, as if it was a mere fragment of a leftover, is still something that is not to be wasted. That is also the outcome that God points out here in, the, in, in, in this statement. Five loaves of barley were used to feed possibly 15,000 people or a lot, very large crowd in abundance and then 12 full baskets of leftover pieces were gathered. So here back to that question that we started with in this part. Did that boy have what it takes? Food for thought, isn't it? Let's go now to verses 14 and 15, if you please. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Did the people understand? Absolutely not. Oh, they acknowledged him as a prophet, but not for his teachings. They looked at what he could do for them, of what he could give them, and they wanted him to be forced to be king. After all, who wouldn't want a king like that? That can use five loaves of barley bread and, and feed such a big, large crowd as that. 
Imagine what he could do with the kingdom, right? But Jesus did not accept that and he did not go for that. He withdrew himself to the mountains to be alone. So back to our original question. Brethren, do you have what it takes? Perhaps we should actually approach it from a different angle. We should ask the question, what does it actually take to be part of what the Lord is doing? I think the answer by now should be quite obvious. First of all, we need to be doing the will of God, not our own. This is, this is not a calling to, to do our own things and then ask God to bless them. This is a calling to discover what the Lord is doing and being part of that, to participate in what the Lord does. Then what it takes is to offer whatever the Lord has given us to offer as an expression of His love. That, in the hands of the Lord, will reach far and wide beyond our wildest imagination. Brethren, we don't need to be millionaires to support the work of God. We don't need to have the most prestigious education or the most professional voice to announce the gospel and to share the gospel. We don't need to be famous to be able to make disciples. What we really need, first of all, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the willingness to surrender in humility to His will and to His work. Abandoning our plans and projects, if necessary, to follow Him and what He is doing. It takes to offer what we have received, whether little or much, whether we understand it or not. If God has called us to work with this much, well, this much we will work with. But we need to offer it as a way to express His generous love, the very love that He pours out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the very love of God, in other words, expressed in and through us, overflowing from within our hearts to be a blessing in our service to the Lord. That's what it takes. And if you, brethren, are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then you have received the Holy Spirit, then you definitely have what it takes because it's not your work, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. So don't hold it back. Express it. Use it. And see the mighty things that the Lord can do with it. And who knows, you may be the next little boy who offers five loaves of barley bread and two fish and sees the Lord feeding 15,000 or so people with it. Don't be surprised because the Lord God is a God of surprises. God bless you. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices 
and have put on the new self who is being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Taking all I have and now I'm left. 
God, you have every victory. You say I am lost, but I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I'm weak. You say I am helped when I am falling short. When I don't belong, who you say I'm yours and I'm me. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all peoples may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace as children of one Father, to whom be dominion and glory now and forever. Amen.